We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Tuesday. It's Ivy Nation Sports Talk. How you doing? Well, I, you know, Jesse, I'm just going to skip the formalities today. I'm not going <laughs> to waste any time because apparently, you know, not only did Lou Holtz trigger Ryan Day, we managed to trigger Bucknuts Nation yesterday with our rapid fire. We, you know, like the uh, the rapid rapid fire video went up on YouTube, and it's you've seen some of the comments. Are there any clean ones that we can? Uh, that we can mention here that uh yeah 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 that, that your I, buckeye I, brethren have have thrown up there on <laughs> on the youtube post yeah i i think i found a pretty funny one i think it kind of subs sums up um all of the comments really so i'll go ahead and read it right okay. now um it, it's uh from just an hour ago actually lou holtz was ohio state's 12th man <laughs> lou should have remained humble and kept his Thoughts to himself, if Lou remains quiet and meek, Notre Dame wins that game nine times out of ten. So it took Lou Holtz to motivate Ohio State. They weren't good enough to come into Notre Dame Stadium on their own and win. They needed Lou Holtz to to inspire them, to give them the motivation they needed because they were told that they weren't physical enough. And Ryan Day's manhood was challenged. I mean, come on. Isn't that what this is all about? really like yeah that's what it boils back to in my opinion is ryan day's manhood being questioned because he's being a question about his team's lack of physicality against some of these big opponents in the last two or three years yes exactly and so today lou holtz went on the dan dockich show and i'm not sure exactly what it's called he used to be on indy indianapolis radio I, i don't i don't know that he's necessarily there anymore but he went on with dan dockich said that he called Marcus Freeman to apologize for providing Ohio State with their motivation on Saturday. He said he shouldn't have said it, but he stands by his comments (laughs) that Ohio State (laughs) was not the more physical team in its losses under Ryan Day. And he went on to say this about Ryan Day, quote, I can understand why he did. He doesn't want to talk about Michigan 0-2. He doesn't want to talk about the big game coming up against Penn State and against Michigan again. He's a great coach. He's done a tremendous job. He's a great offensive mind. He hired an outstanding defensive coordinator from Oklahoma State. I think he's doing a tremendous job. 
Ohio State's a good football team. I don't think they're a great football team. He can go after me all he wants. End quote. <laughs> Lou Holtz, today with Dan Dockich on Ryan Day. I don't disagree with anything that he said. And to be honest with you, I thought Notre Dame was the more physical team again on Saturday. Right. And I know it's, you know, it doesn't matter now and you know, it's all in the past and I don't want to get too much talking about, you know, um, this whole topic, but Notre Dame was more physical than Ohio state on Saturday. It, It just so happened that Ohio state, you know, as it's been talked about, snuck out a win at the end of the day. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's, the way it played out it, it wasn't it wasn't about listen the thing about, the thing about ryan day is he's a great offensive mind he's a subpar head coach but when you walk into ohio state good recruiter there you have to give him the recruiting like right he, he's a good he's, recruiter he's raking in the recruits you have to give him that and as we've talked about before on this show being a good recruiter good slash great recruiter is part of being a, a good slash great college football coach that that does factor into the equation, whatever percentage you want to give it. But coming down to like the day to day, you know, head coaching, I know he has a great record and all that stuff, but he walked into a room where it's awfully hard to fail all of the hard work. Would you say he was born on third base. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. It's it's hard. I mean, one of the things I agree program. with Jim Harbaugh on: the guy was born on third base. That That's what I mean. Good. He didn't actually have to roll up his sleeves, yeah, and get dirty with it, you know. And I think that's ultimately boils down to who Ryan Day is and what he's going through right now, and the questions of his, I guess, quote unquote, manhood. Is, is this overall overlying issue? Is he's never had to get down in the trenches and get gritty with it? You know what I mean? Like he's he's walked into a room that Urban Meyer built. And just was handed the keys and was told, you know, to keep recruiting at a high level and a lot of things would take care of itself. But now that he actually has to coach, uh, you know, gain day to day logistics, week to week logistics against Michigan's, Notre Dame's, Penn State's, he's had a little bit more adversity. And I think you're starting to see that. Yeah. He's still a great coach. I just don't think he's like, like Lou Holt said, he's not a great coach. I just don't understand what, like, literally, when was the last time you heard from Lou Holtz before the Pat McAfee show on Friday? And, and like, Ryan Day, I guess he's got the obvious connection to Notre Dame, but but Ryan Day acts like this is, like, you know, even Lee Corso, who's on college game day every weekend, he acts like this is, like, some great college football pontificator or something. Lou Holtz means a lot to the Notre Dame fan base, but it's just – it's so odd that this is what he's clinging to. And our buddy Pete called me today and make sure that we mentioned that all of Day's reaction, in case this wasn't specified yesterday in the video that, that uh, Bucknuts Nation is getting riled up about, it's all about his own insecurities. The whole Correct. I love my team, Ohio versus everyone, all that crap is just Ryan Day cloaking himself in this layer of protection to try to say, oh, you know, that, that it wasn't about him when really it is all just about Ryan Day and his own securities at the end of the day. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah, and there is um, another – oh, crap, let me find it here. There was another really good comment in here, um, and I, it's kind of like the complete opposite and kind of – Was it actually good or was it just Yeah, hilarious? it's actually good, and no, this one this – one, this one is basically literally just uh, playing off of what you just said. So 
Uh, this comment says, I'm an Ohio State fan. Everyone loved the postgame passion. I hated it. He let everyone know how rattled a realistic comment could make him. He, he heavily insinuated that it ruined several days for him and the players had to calm and reassure him. That's my personal personal issue with Day. I don't like the way he hides behind his players' talents. I hated the way he took sole credit for a play call, but blamed the bad play calls on player execution. I'm not saying I know of a better coach to take the job. I just know that Ryan wouldn't have this position if the raw skill of the players didn't always bail him out. Wow. That's from an Ohio State fan, rational Ohio State fan. Good comment. And I think that literally just sums up what you just talked about. He hides behind the skill of his players to mask his own securities, insecurities as a head coach. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How could it have ruined several days of his when the comment was made just a little bit more than 24 hours. He must have heard it immediately. <laughs> it's the amplification of social media, I guess. You know, minutes seem like days. Days seem like weeks. I don't I don't know. Anyway, Brian says Ohio State fans need approval from others. One of the most successful football programs, and that alone is not enough to satisfy their fan base. And I just saw it looked like we had... Uh, a Buckeye fan hanging out in here. I, I can't find the comment now. <laughs> Maybe he deleted it already. I don't know. Well, anyway, let's move on from that. I just thought it was obviously worth mentioning that Lou Holtz apparently did call Marcus Freeman and apologize for the comments. Again, up oh, there he is, Frank Caroni 6. I love the win. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, I mean, if you're an Ohio State fan – there he is. I mean, that's the thing about this great game. Win. It was a great game. Unfortunately, it ended with a gut punch right at the end. You know, like it's that game is great no matter what, but obviously it's always going to leave a bad taste in your mouth, whether or not you're Notre Dame or Ohio State, depending on how that last play of the game went. And I think that's yeah. the most upsetting part I had 
of going, you know, getting into the thick of it, I guess I should say the post game, you know, everything that transpired, right? That's the part I have the most frustration with is Ohio State fans can't simply admit that Notre Dame played a tremendous game and they snuck it out at the end of the day, right? Like I, I had an Ohio State fan text me and tell me, you know, Ohio State played like crap and they have to play better when the opponents get better because they're going to get better, referring to Michigan and Penn State. And it's like Notre Dame forced Ohio State into that mold. They did what they wanted to do to, and execution-wise to make Ohio State, you know, only score 17 points the entire game. Like it was a tremendous football game all around, but because Ohio State stuck it, you know, snuck it out at the end, there's so many other things that people want to talk about rather than it just being a really that's, good football game. That's a game like this, as close as it was, the outcome was going to mask certain things for whoever won the game and the loss was just going to amplify it. Like if, if Ohio state had lost, obviously lost, the conversation is a lot different. Ryan day, isn't going to go nuts about Lou Holtz for one. And we wouldn't be talking about this whole thing. And, and uh, they would be talking about, you know, like Frank is talking about the Ohio state defense was great for almost three quarters. If Notre Dame had managed to milk the clock for that last possession, They'd be talking about how their defense couldn't come through in the clutch and and their offense was only able to score 10 points against this, you know, whatever Notre Dame team that they wanted to call it. Bill Walsh says, per pro football focus, Notre Dame outplayed Ohio State in all 12 performance categories. Man, they must feel lucky to get out of town with the double. Let me, uh, uh, based off of that, I just want to share a screen real quick. This is just a cool graphic. Um, if, if you want to bring this up, I sent this to you the other day. Um, yeah, I didn't is... know what this, what any of this meant. So <laughs> I kind of figured, so I'll Glad just, you uh... can explain it. You and your graphs and your charts and <laughs> what so does this, this even mean? <laughs> I, I, uh, th- I follow this guy on Twitter. He's like probably the best in, in terms of like statistics. Like the guy is just a genius. Uh, he puts together his own stats and own graphs and all that stuff. Um, but what I, what I want to show here is how, how did and you can read the title? Did we really get beat? that bad um and so what this is is every team across the zero axis right here Uh are all the teams that lost zero axis is the straight line the straight line the x-axis if you are on that axis you lost so every you know auburn lost old miss gotcha 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 and so on this end it simply means that the team that you that beat you just performed out of the world right like there was really nothing that could be done. They're just a better team. I mean, like, look at the Oregon and Colorado. So uh, what you're saying is, based on what this graph says, Ohio State beat Notre Dame. Here are two examples. Ohio State beat Notre Dame. Florida State beat Clemson. They are both below the zero line. So that means the team that played worse in the game actually won the game in those two cases. Correct. And if you look at it even closer – there's only two games that were, you know, worse than Notre Dame's in this instance, Georgia Tech. Um, and it looks like, is that NC State against UMass or UNLV? I can't see who's all the way there on the left. That is actually um, New Mexico against oh, UMass. Lobos, yep, New Mexico. So, yeah, I guess is, and again, I'm not trying to beat it, you know, over and over again because a lot of people know that this is already real, you know, what the, how, you know, the, the realism of how the game turned out. Yeah, but I LSU mean, over Arkansas is also below the line. By the way, LSU below the line. So, right, just as another example. Okay, so I just thought that was kind of interesting to share. 
It was. And so when you tell an Ohio State fan that Notre Dame played better, they just unfortunately lost. I mean, it's statistically proven. Ohio State didn't play better in that game, but they won. And that's the even, you know, that's the part that I think really stings the most. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to talk about some good. We're going to talk about, do, do you want to, you know, like, like Bill Walsh would say, do you want to just throw out your, uh, a couple of your, your good takeaways from this first, or, or do we want to, you know, kind of like get in the mud a little bit and talk about some of the concerns coming out of it that are kind of lingering still that maybe um, we didn't get to touch I, I'd on I'd like to go with show. the, the, the good stuff because okay. I think I have more to talk about the good stuff. Um, and I feel like the good stuff is stuff that needs to continue to go on throughout the season because, I mean, let's face it, Notre Dame probably has the toughest four weeks out of any team in the country. And I'll die on that stone or hill, whatever it's called, in saying that because, I mean, they, like they have four straight 7.30 p.m. games. Let's let's save that. Let's save that. We got that coming up in rapid fire. <laughs> and they're all against teams that are really good, like Duke undefeated, Louisville undefeated, USC undefeated, and then obviously last week's game um, against Ohio State. Uh, Keith says, in other words, we only sucked the last four minutes. I mean, that's basically what yesterday's show was all about. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I think when you boil it down, unfortunately, those decisions um, – those decisions had a big impact on the outcome. Frank saying to Jesse, the Sunday morning newspaper under the sports section just show the wins and losses. There's a Sunday morning newspaper? I, I didn't where, – where, where where do you get those? I didn't know. <laughs> those There's, are still around? They still come out? The Sunday morning newspaper here in town has Friday's high school results. You know, I don't I don't know anything about what, what Sunday morning newspapers mean. I'll tell you what. I asked you what you wanted to do, but I'm just going to call an audible because I want to talk <laughs> about a couple things first, and then we can get to your always live on, you know, live on the bright side of your life stuff. <laughs> so for a second straight game, they had time on the clock and timeouts to use, but they decided not to try to at least get into field goal range. And I tell you, Vince and I were talking about this in the moment, the last two weeks, it goes back to central Michigan. And the other night against Ohio State as well, they had 26 seconds on the clock and two timeouts at the end of the first half. And they opted not to kick the field goal. And here's what Marcus Freeman had to say when I asked him about that. You know, I often have a saying, right? You win or you learn. And last year at Ohio State, the very same situation happened. Okay. And uh, on first down, we had one timeout. No. Ohio State, I think, had two timeouts. And first down, I wanted to take a shot, but it was miscommunication. Ran the ball. The second down, we threw it. And Ohio State had time to call a timeout and still get possession. And I didn't want that to happen. They had two timeouts. I can't remember what happened. But I knew if we took a shot on the very first play, um, they could call a timeout on second down and third down and still get the ball back. And so I didn't want to put our offense um, or team in that situation. And so that's where we made the decision. Hey, let's just take a knee and, and take it in and half. So there's Marcus Freeman's explanation. And Stymie says, why defer to the second half if you're not going to take advantage of the extra possession? Two weeks in a row, Notre Dame had taken a knee, going to the half with time on the clock and timeouts. 
in their pocket. So what did you think of Marcus Freeman's explanation? He's basically saying, well, we had timeouts, but Ohio State had timeouts as well. So they were guarding against, you know, if there's an incompletion or they don't gain a yard, they were guarding against giving Ohio State any opportunity to try to go score again before the end of the first half. You know, I'm just going to be uh, point blank honest about this one. I don't like Marcus Freeman's response, and I think it was sort of a bailout or a cop-out um, on his side because, listen, I just went back and I double-checked in the, in the box score when Notre Dame got the ball back. They got the ball back with 26 seconds. If you yes. go through a three-down three, three down possession and maybe you throw three straight incomplete passes, that's like four or five seconds off the clock. So you're looking at putting the ball back to Ohio State with roughly, you know, worst-case scenario, 10 to 12 seconds left on the clock. They're not going to run a play and, and throw a Hail Mary and score. And so I think it was a, a, a bogus excuse on, on behalf of Marcus Freeman. And I, it, to me, it shows – I think he was uh, hiding his underlying issue of he didn't want to make a mistake. He didn't want to give Ohio State the ball and let them get another score right before the half. And I think that's inexcusable because you have to show confidence in your quarterback – um, this is a six-year quarterback. It's not like last year where Tyler Buckner, you know, his first start ever is going against Ohio State. I get, I get that. But Marcus Freeman's biggest point of emphasis from last year to this year is that they needed to be aggressive and they needed to take their shots. And it wasn't last year's game plan. And when he said that, it, it, it basically it, it was it was hypocritical because he was playing how he was last See, year. And it and it contradicts what he said about the end of the game. He said at the end of the game when they had the ball that they didn't want to play not to lose, that they were trying to play to win and be aggressive and make plays. Okay, well, you know, again, just, just like you said, if you break it down, you, you by the time you punt, at best, Ohio State's probably going to have 12 seconds left, assuming you go three plays, don't run any time off the clock. And again, you've it's got like your, three straight incompletions. Yeah, I mean, this is after the previous, the previous, prior to Central Michigan, they scored a touchdown three plays in 30 seconds against North Carolina State. Six plays, 38 seconds against Tennessee State. What did we say when they were running those two-minute drills? It's like that gives you the confidence that you can do it. Now, I realize that Ohio State is obviously a much better team than either one of those teams. But at the same time, are you playing to win? You've got a chance to, 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 to do the two-for-one. And you've already shown this year that you can do it. So I just don't get the contradiction in saying that you're playing to win at the end of the game with the offensive strategy they went with. And then you've got time on the clock, plenty of time. Again, it's only four seconds left and they scored a touchdown against North Carolina state. It's only 12 seconds less than when they scored a touchdown against Tennessee state. They've shown that they can do it. So it's, and really even if you're not going to score a touchdown, you only need to pick up about 35 yards or so right. to give yourself a realistic chance. Well, to and if you got this range. kicker with all this leg, exactly. then it shouldn't be an issue either. And so exactly. I just think it was really weak of, of uh, Marcus Freeman because you want to show the message to Ohio State that you're not going to back down. So, and that's what they did. They, they ended up backing down at that time. And, you know, I, I all, in all these situations, I always think back because Tony Ramos says this in every game that he does you always give your team a chance on that first play and then you see what happens right. on the second play. Yes. 
That's exactly it. And again, you've got two timeouts, so you can run anything you want on that first play. Any type of play. And as long as you get about 10 yards or so, that's when you put it into high gear. Look at the pass play they ran on the first play of that last of the last offensive possession that they had in the game with the quick pass to Rico Flores. They get a first down. He could have gone out of bounds. He stayed in bounds, kept the clock. Like that's all you need is something similar to that. It's get that first first down. And then, like you said, give yourself, give your team a chance, see what happens. Johnny says, can you imagine if it was a pick six risk reward just isn't enough in that situation? See, I disagree. Like what's, what's the difference in the risk reward against North Carolina state in that situation. How is it any different? You're afraid of your opponent. That's what it was. Right. It's just a difference in opponent. And it's only a three point game. Like Todd Blackledge said at the time, he would be shocked if they tried to do anything. Noah Eagle on the broadcast was saying, well, will he try to go down and get a field goal? Blackledge responds. No, I think he'll just kneel on it. And that's what they ended up doing. They go, kneel down they go to the locker room second week in a row with timeouts at their disposal and they opt not to go for it i completely agree i would have at least again run that first play see what you're able to get on that first play you've got two timeouts use the timeout if you want to if not kneel on it go to the locker room after that or see if ohio state calls a timeout you know like they're going to get the ball back but that's not the way they opted to go how about the pass rush? Um, it remains a little bit of a mystery. And here's what Marcus Freeman said yesterday about his team's pass rush. I think we had one sack right in the game. Um, had a, a couple QB hits and pressures. You know, we got there. We just didn't get there enough. You know, it's never enough. Um but I thought the D-line and, and, the, and the different pressure packages that we had uh, was effective, especially in that last drive. You know, it was effective. Um, that got them into those third and long or fourth and long situations. Then we have to convert. We gotta, we have to convert defensively. All 11 guys have to convert on those long, situa- those long yardage situations. And so, again, we're always going to try to improve. Right, and, and it, we're never sad. We're greedy people, and so do we. Got to be better at pass rush. Absolutely, do we have to be better at pass defense. Yeah, and, and we're top something in the country. I don't know, top top two in the country, and so we have to improve in all areas. Absolutely, they are actually number five in pass efficiency defense. They slid a little bit. They rank 109th though in sacks. Jesse, did Saturday show that even the best pass defense is still going to be stressed and challenged if you don't take the quarterback down more often? Um, Yeah, it'll definitely be stress, but let me put it like this. If stress means giving up 17 points against, you know, one of the nation's, I wouldn't say best offense, but some of the best offensive talent, then I'll take that every day of the week, right? Like, it's not like Notre Dame lost this game because McCord was sitting back there and just picking apart Notre Dame and they weren't getting enough pressure. Like that's not the case. And so to me, I'm again, I, I, I said this kind of last week, you know, sacks and pass rush helps your secondary and the secondary just defended the best wide receiver room in the country without getting much help. I'm not worried about it, to be honest with you. I think Notre Dame has tremendous players and the secondary um, and they'll figure it out on the defensive line. They'll do what they need to 
to get the job done. And I think that's that's really the the, the most I can say about it. Yeah, I, I mean, the secondary is playing so well, but one sack, two hurries. Again, they rank 109th in sacks right now. They're just not getting to the quarterbacks. I don't think it's going to be any easier this week because you've got another mobile quarterback. The objective isn't necessarily sack this guy. We'll talk about more about Riley Leonard in, in, in the Duke offense as this week goes on. And Brian's actually going to do a show at 8 o'clock tonight. He's going to be talking about Duke as he kind of looks to turn the page a little bit and uh, get on to Duke. But, you know, sacks are going to be hard to come by against Duke. But, again, that's not going to be the name of the game against them. I, I agree with what you're saying, though, Jess, as we look at some of the positives coming out of this game. Notre Dame's secondary, I think, has to be at the top of the list. Now, can you nitpick and say, well, where were they on third and 19? Of course you can. And that's that's part of the conundrum of this defense, because as you start to look at some of Notre Dame's numbers, once again, they rank very respectably. You know, with the exception of the sacks, they rank pretty well, like in, in better than the top half of the country in a lot of these different statistical categories. But it is in the key situations like third and 19, get off the field on th those kind of things. That's, you know, that's what cost them. One of the things that it's cost just, them um, this game. It's just really frustrating because... <laughs> The times Notre Dame really needs to, to be sound in coverage, that third and 19 play, and maybe we'll get into this in a little bit. I hated that call on defense. I hated, I hated. They did They did exactly what Ohio State wanted them to do in terms of that third and 19 play, but it, it was just like and the same thing on that fourth and seven play. They just – Notre Dame's defense plays really well, and then when they want to do something to be advantageous to them, a.k.a. maybe, you know, rush the quarter – give an extra guy on the quarterback – it actually doesn't help the secondary out like that fourth and seven play. They sent two linebackers. Like I'm, I'm not kidding you. And I, I people are going to maybe think I'm, I'm lying, but I, I turned to, to Naomi before that fourth and seven play. And I said, they're going to, the middle of the field is going to be open. They're going to hit a play over the middle of the field and get this first down. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did. They brought two linebackers instead of dropping one linebacker into the hole, right? The over the middle of the field they haven't got a sack all game. Why are you bringing two linebackers on fourth and seven? You haven't got a sack all game. Drop that linebacker into coverage. And yeah. it's just stuff. It's the stuff hey, I would like, like to see them. And we talked about this yesterday. Like, okay, if you're going to play zone, how about zone blitz stuff? You know, like put. That's what I mean. Put somebody and down and then drop him back into coverage over the middle. Catch right. the quarterback. That's, that's how you're going to. That's how you're going to make a, a, a still relatively inexperienced quarterback. As, as talented as Cal McCord is, that's how you're going to make him make mistakes by surprising him with something like that. Don't just drop eight into coverage because you want to play zone. Put somebody down in a three-point stance on the line and then drop him off and and catch him off guard and see if you can make him make a mistake out of it. But that's, that's not what, what I they mean. did. Like, instead of just bringing the same old straight-up blitzes you bringing, like if you're going to bring a blitz, do something that you haven't shown all game. You know what I mean? Like, the, the moments call for the right stuff, but just the, it's the same old bland stuff that they've been doing the whole game. So Ohio State knows if they're going to blitz. Okay, it's this blitz. We've already seen this five times, you know, uh, be, before this. So it's just like when Notre Dame really thought that they were helping themselves, they were shooting themselves 
in the foot on some of those critical plays. And I know it's it's easy to say now, but it, again, like they, there's just little things they did wrong in those critical plays. Zachary, thanks for the super chat. He said, poor execution and still held the lead until the last play. They had to come back versus different feel from previous Ohio State losses, nuanced victory inside of an L. Well, I wouldn't say nuanced victory. I don't, as Vince has said right from the beginning, I don't go for uh, for moral victories in this case. A win is a win Mm-mm. and a loss is a loss. They're not like... Maybe it was a moral victory in 2017 when you lost by a point to Georgia at home after the horrible 2016 season that you had. And they went on, put together a solid 2017 season, won a bowl game at the end, end up with double-digit wins. You go on with a run of five consecutive um, you know, double-digit win seasons. And, of course, they make the college football playoff the next year for the first time. In that case, okay, maybe I can see a moral victory. But that's like really where they are right now, seven years removed from that awful 4-8 2016 season. There are no moral victories anymore. Because Notre Dame, Notre, again, like whether it's George – now, did they completely implode in that rain game at Michigan Stadium a few years ago that you were at, Jesse, when you and your buddy got soaked in the rain there, <laughs> you know, watching the, the Wolverines beat the snot out of Notre Dame? Yeah, but they have played you know, like the year before they beat Michigan at home. They played another close game with Georgia. They've played close games against these good teams, but in the regular season and not come through. It's it's typically been in the you know, and they beat Clemson a couple of times. Obviously, it's been in the playoffs where you know against the big opponents, you know, have really thumped Notre Dame. So I don't think for the regular season, I don't I don't think we're talking about moral victories anymore. Yeah, I think the only moral victory you can take away from this game and a little bit of what I was kind of preluding to earlier of things that like you can you could be happy about and use down the road in this brutal stretch that Notre Dame is about to go on is the different type of players that we're seeing on the field now. I think that's the only moral victory that you can take in this because the difference makers for Notre Dame in the second half when they started scoring points were the young guys, the freshmen, the Rico Flores, the Jeremiah Love, uh, the Jabron Payne. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to be morally happy about something, it's that look at the players that were the game changers, how love – or sorry, how young they are and the talent. And those are Marcus Freeman guys and how those guys are now competing with Ohio State at such a young, you know, young time in their career. And, like, that's the biggest thing. And the thing I applaud Marcus Freeman for the most is – his, his willingness to get those young guys ready for this game because they were the difference maker, playing them in all those games, getting them times against teams hey. against teams that they should have beat, allowing those freshmen to play, prepared them for the big moment against Ohio State, and they were ready for it, and they're freshmen. And so if you want to be positive about something, think about all this, these young recruits that are coming in and all these freshmen that are playing now, they're going to take Notre Dame to that next level. This is you know, what Brian said. It's basically what I was going to say. He said the juke move on the cornerback. I mean, Rico Flores was a dude out there Saturday. He had be, he had been playing, but Saturday was the most snaps that he's had this season. He had three catches, scored a touchdown. I mean, he was out there, and and he was a big part of the game plan out there. Just just one example of the freshman, Jaden Greathouse, obviously Jeremiah Love. These guys have have come to play in their plan. Let me kind of spin this back to what Zachary was talking about because he wants to pin moral victory. I won't go 
moral victory. But I asked Vince this yesterday, Jesse, so I'll ask you. So if we're looking at Marcus Freeman and this learning curve that he has, if if he goes from Marshall and Stanford losses in year one to a three-point loss due to shaky decisions against number four Ohio State, and we're assuming that nothing disastrous happens against the quote-unquote teams that they are supposed to beat over the course of the rest of the season. So, like, if this this is the worst thing, some shaky decisions in, albeit, a very high-profile game against a very good opponent, if that's the learning curve, can you live with that? Ah. You know, I've went back and forth. ever since you ever since you sent this to me, I've been back and forth on this question because I don't feel like there's I, I don't feel confident in an answer either way because I can't live with losing to Ohio State by three points on the last play of the game due to multiple coaching decisions in the last four minutes that put Notre Dame in its not best position to win the game. But then you look at it on the flip side of Marcus Freeman's evolution as a head coach. And to be in that situation, he obviously had to grow from last, last season, right? Like he had to learn from the mistakes that you, that you brought up the Marshalls and the Stanford's. But the thing is, is after those games, he still played or sorry, coached really good games and ultimately lost like the USC game. They lost, but he still coached well and still made some coaching decisions that ultimately kind of maybe cost them the game after you know after what they did to Clemson and so for me I felt like he turned that page more so last year um and, and I so I'm I'm gonna say no because you can't lose you can't you can't waste the opportunity to beat Ohio State at home as a head coach in the second year because of decisions that you and your coaching staff made like he's gonna learn from it and get better but I still can't live with how that game ended because of Marcus Freeman and his coaching staff yeah, I mean it's 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 tough to stomach, obviously, because it's a game that they should have won. And like Michael says, he can if Freeman learns from it, which he seems to do. And that's that's my point. He has ask learned me, from. Ask me after game twelve this season. Well, and, and that's okay. Let's, so let's just, again they take. Let's assume they take care of business. Whatever the loss happens to be, they're ten and two at the end of the season, and you don't have a disastrous ending in that, uh, you know, in that second loss again, like to go from losing games that there's no reason you should have lost in year one to, okay, you made a blunder against the biggest of one of the two biggest opponents you're going to play in year two. You made some blunders. They cost you, you lost the game, but now you learn from that. You go on, you have another double-digit win season. You're probably, at the very worst, going to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. And and again, you learn from it. Because as we were talking about yesterday, he has now coached in 19 games as a head coach. So there's there's still not a very big body of experience that he has when he has had to make these decisions. And when you're in a big game like that, the decision's... One, they get magnified, and two, they come at you a lot quicker when you're the guy calling the shots. Yeah. 
And yeah, so when, when you look at it with that sort of perspective, that's what I like. I, I think that's why this question made it so difficult because I'm leaning towards yes, but then seeing what happened against Ohio State, I just ultimately can't say I can't fully give you a confident yes at the moment because of that. You know what I mean? Like he showed so much stride from last year's Stanford game. Mm-hmm. And like, that's great and all. And it's obviously better than last year, but like that's last year. And I, I really just like, they needed to win that game for, to get a resounding yes for me, I, I think is what I'm getting at. Terry asking why Parker hasn't spoken to the press. The coordinators talk to the media on Tuesday. So he will be doing that today and we will see some of the things that he has asked and what his responses are, both he and Al Golden over there at uh, the Irish Athletic Center today. So that will be interesting to see what those responses end up being. Okay, so before we move on, you touched on the secondary. Anything else you want to shine a positive spin on? Any 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 positive things that you took from that game Saturday night before we move on? Yeah, so I talked about, you know, the secondary, like you said, and just how they, I mean, they shut down the top wide receiver in the nation. Three catches, 32 yards. No wide receiver on Ohio State went over 100 yards. You know, you can go down the list. The second, I think you could say that 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 Hart and Benjamin Morrison are the best, you know, corner duo in the country. And I don't think you get a lot of argument from a lot of people. I think the secondary is tremendous. They lived up to the hype. They battled back. They gave up some plays here and there. But overall, they did. You couldn't ask for a better day from the secondary. Um, the other thing I touched on was player preparation, and again, that I I, I just love Marcus well, Freeman's. Let me let me ask you this about DJ Brown, because a lot of people are down on DJ Brown, and I mean, he obviously had an interception in his hands there at the end. Man, watching that replay, I, I realize it was off his. It's a hard his, ball to catch. That was not an easy like. With the still photos, when you see the ball right in his hands, it looks like, how could he not catch that? But the way he had to move to get in that position and to go up just to get his hands on it, that was not an easy play to make. I just wish he would have went up with, like, one hand and punched or something so, like, people wouldn't even have the opportunity to think about it, right? Because, yeah, I mean, he's dropping basically into – you know, like they were bracketed. If he's Kyle Hamilton, that's an easy interception because Hamilton's (laughs) – right. But that ball you know, was like high, and he did he did enough to just get his hands on it, right? Yeah. And so that's a hard ball when you're contorting your body, you're dropping under coverage, and trying to make an interception at the same time. That's hard. And no one should be down on DJ Brown. He also played a tremendous game. Unfortunately, the thing that sticks out is the, the still photo of that ball in his hands. I agree. That he doesn't catch. And so I, I think everyone in the secondary was tremendous. And then, like I was saying about player preparation – just Marcus Freeman getting these young guys into action early and allowing them to have a prominent role um, in the second half. Because, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. SMA wasn't getting the job done. And then they switched to Love. Um, and, so, you know, some of these, Jadarian Price, Jabron Payne, they switched to these different running backs. They went to two back sets. And all of a sudden they're running the ball. You know, they combined for like 175 rushing yards as a team. And Audric Estime was only like 75 of those yards, right? And that was him getting the, the majority of the workload, the most amount of carries. So I think Notre Dame, and that goes to my next point, Notre Dame has a tremendous offensive line and running back room, and I'd like to see them use those two-back sets more because they were highly effective against a really good team. And I just, 
those are the things like they have so much depth at running back and their offensive line is just so stout that I would, I would I'm almost asking them to run the ball a little bit more knowing that they have Sam Hartman in, in kind of in the background mm-hmm. too. So that was another um, big takeaway I took for, uh, from the game. And then the last thing I'll say, Hold on. O- only thing I didn't like about the running game. And again, I've, I voiced my concern about there should have been more running in that last, like, like yesterday, Again, we went over it quite a bit. But after Audric Estime gains 11 yards on that. on How do you not give it to him? How do you not give it to him at least one more time? And then force Ohio State's hands one way or another. Even if he gets stuffed, the clock is running. Force their hand on if they're going to use the timeout, make them have to make a decision. Call another play. After that, I don't know how you don't hand it to him at least. That was, time. and so everyone, I was, I think I might have texted you this or we were on the phone. I can't remember. I, I've said this to so many people, and it, it's the part that hurts the most. Everyone gets wrapped up on those last two plays and having 10 guys on the field, whatever. I don't care about that. It's the part that led up to them having that opportunity that really pisses me off. The, the, the fourth and 19, the, or sorry, the fourth and seven, the third and 19. All of that stuff. It doesn't matter. Notre Dame just banged out two first downs. Rico Flores, Audric Estime. The Ohio State defense is gassed. I was listening yep. to an interview with Joe Alt and Zeke Carell today. They even said it, how they were leaning on those guys. They could feel it that those Ohio State guys didn't want it anymore. And what do you do? You go to a two-back RPO look. All you had to do was get into the I formation or single back and hand that thing off to SMA three more times, I guarantee he gets the first down and the game is over. But what do you do? You run a gimmicky RPO play. Yep. You run a screen play the next play. And yep. now you're completely out of the game and you're giving yep. Ohio State a chance. I'm yep. more upset with that two-play sequence than yep. I am with anything else that happened in that game. Yep. And that's Incredible. where I'll leave that one at. Every point. Yep. I wish I had my bell. I would have been dinging it with you. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But I will say to to put the to to kind of close this off finally, in that same interview that I was listening to, Zeke Krell made a, a statement that I think would put that should have the rest of us excited and just anticipating this this stretch of games that Notre Dame is going to be playing because he said good teams after a loss like that will look for answers, but great teams will come together and find solutions. And we're a solution based program, and we're going to find solutions going forward. And I think that should give all of us as fans just something to just really be excited about because these guys aren't getting down on it. They're looking for solutions and how to be better going forward. And I think they have a tremendous opportunity to finish out this season and do everything and achieve everything that they thought that they could achieve before losing to Ohio State. I agree. Wicked Broncos got a couple super chats. Thank you very much, Wicked. He said he was at the game Saturday night. I've never been so dejected after a loss. Thought the refs were terrible but didn't cost us the game. I find it funny. Ohio State fans on Twitter are acting like they blew us out, though. 
And that's, I mean, I'm sure you're hearing from more Ohio State game uh, fans, Jesse. And again, you live in Cleveland. I'm sure you're hearing from more Ohio State fans after the game than you actually heard from before the game. <laughs> yeah, so um, it, it was funny. I, I knew the onslaught was coming from Ohio State fans. I'm not going to lie to anyone. The game was over and within five minutes, my phone was off and I, I just, I got into bed and I went to bed. <laughs> I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to deal. Like I didn't even know the 10 man thing was a thing until the next morning. That's how, yeah. like how I just wanted to get away from it because I knew it was going to be toxic. And I knew there were going to be so many fans and so many people trying to bother me that it just, it wasn't worth it um, at the end of the day. So yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's it, I have, I've even gone into work this week because I don't even want to face all of the my Ohio State co- co-workers. I've just been working from home the last two days. So like I still feel it. And that's the worst part. You know, I still as a fan, it sounds crazy, but like I still feel it. I still feel dejected from it. It sucks. Um, but again, like like these players have already kind of shown it's just time to move on. There's there's great opportunities ahead of this team to really prove themselves. Another super chat from Wicked Broncos. I still don't understand how the defensive line couldn't dominate that awful Ohio State offensive line that Indiana killed. I'm starting to get fed up with Riley Mills. Dude has tons of potential, but he can't show it in the game. Give us more Brennan Vernon. I don't know that Brennan Vernon is uh, is ready for that kind of role. You know, like give me more yeah. Burnham though. You know what I mean? Like what? Yeah. What? what they play different. They play different positions. Yeah, anyway. I know what you mean. So. But it was still overall frustrating. Yeah, because this offense, you know, so Ohio State offensive line wasn't supposed to be as great. And again, Notre Dame couldn't do anything to get home uh, with the pressures and stuff. And so That's, is that player? Is that is that you know uh, Al Golden not you know designing up schemes that are getting players free better? Like what what does that cocktail look like? What does that recipe look like? It's it seems like. And in training camp, I said, I thought that this was going to be a really disruptive defensive line, but that is not what we've seen. It seems like what Al Golden wants is for these defensive linemen to just chew up blocks and let the linebackers make the plays. But the other side of that that's so frustrating is, again, we have to go back and talk about a guy like Maris Leofau, who is out there on the field practically the whole game and doesn't make one tackle while you also have an ineffective defensive line in terms of disruption and getting any real pressure on the quarterback. You only had one sack and two hurries. You can say that they affected the game in a couple of, you know, a handful of plays, but ultimately they didn't affect it enough. But it's again, it's like, what exactly does Al Golden want from those guys? Exactly. And and I, I will, I will say this, uh, I, I, for for what we're saying about the defensive line right now, Javante John Baptiste was a bad man that game and played with bad bad intentions. I think he was the star of the defensive line. I don't know if for that's sure. been talked about, um, but that we, man, you know, we haven't touched on him enough. He did. He had a great a game, tremendous, great game tremendous, tremendous State. game against Ohio State. And I would be, I would be. <laughs> If they didn't have him, I would hate to know <laughs> kind of what that looked like. Same to go with Howard Cross. And Howard Cross um, isn't – it doesn't get as, you know, the hype or the, the sexiness because he plays interior defensive line, right? Like your job is to to take on the double team and and, and that's really it. But Howard Cross, again, him and Javante Jean, John Baptiste played just phenomenal games um, amongst the defensive line. I thought Bertrand played a tremendous game 
as well. Could the mm-hmm. tackling have been better in some spots? Sure, but that goes across the board for the entire Notre Dame defense. Yeah, like Brian said, wrong type of defensive line to eat up blocks. I agree because they are not big, you know, massive, hulking, 320, 330-pound space eaters. Yeah, and they're not running up the center a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a little bit baffling. One more super chat from Wicked Broncos. They said, need to stop having refs in the booth or on the field from the away team's conference. The game reminded me of the USC game last year. Tons of non-call <laughs> holding calls Yes, on the Ohio this State This allows me to, to talk about this a little bit. I didn't want to. I didn't want to get into this. But, I mean, when someone drops a $10 super chat, you, you got to talk on it a little bit. Why was every Notre Dame play reviewable, but it seemed like every Ohio State play, there was no review. Like, literally every play that was close on Notre I still don't know how Sam Hartman came up short on that fourth down. How was there enough evidence to overturn that? There wasn't. There was because, as I said, because I went back and watched that, and what the what the rules analyst was trying to say was the ball was on his back shoulder instead of the well, upfield. Yeah, shoulder. that the ball wasn't forward enough when he went out of bounds. Well, the problem with that is he's got. I think it was his left foot was inbounds, and then he takes that long stride with his right foot that lands almost on the you know like you know the big the big white sideline. Basically, he almost stepped all the way over the sideline on that big stride. Well, you're not out of bounds until your foot, whatever part of your body steps out of bounds. By the time he stepped actually out of bounds, the ball was another half yard forward. And he had easily crossed the, the, you know, the line to gain with that, with that long stride that he took out of bounds. He, the, the rules analyst tried to make it sound like Hartman was out of bounds as soon as his foot, you know, in the air was was hovering over that out of bounds side. If that line. were the case, guys who dive for touchdowns would never get them as their body is falling out of bounds. Right, right. It's it, it, it's it's just like on a pass that goes out of bounds, the clock does not stop until the ball actually hits out of bounds. Just because it is crossed the sideline does not mean that it is out of bounds. It was it was horrible. There was. They had they had no reason to overturn Hartman's for you know that 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 fourth and one on the sideline. Well, There's no reason. They had they had no justification to do I it. I just and the other thing that drives me absolutely insane is how is that a reviewable play because Ryan Day comes screaming down the sideline. There's that that's not a thing in college, you know? Like a, a coach just can't start screaming and start demanding that a play be reviewed. I want to clarify this because Brian asks, isn't it where the ball goes out of bounds? Yes, but again. It's where the ball goes out of bounds, but it is also when you're where the, it's basically where the ball is when your body goes out of bounds and you are not technically out of bounds until you take that step or you fall or wherever out of bounds. So the ball was still going forward as he is taking that stride and it, it has to be spotted where the ball is when his first body part comes out of bounds and it was at the 16 and a half yard line, all he had to do was get to the 17. So he had crossed the 17 and he was at the 16 and a half. It's where the ball is when your body actually comes out of bounds. And, and what's crazy is a ball call on the field was first down. I don't understand how there was any sort of a, it's insurmountable amount of evidence to say that there was There's enough there to say that he, that he didn't get it. And I, Again, that that sucks. It's such a huge critical swinging point um, in, in, in the game. And 
know, a lot of people right now are also just screaming at, at Al Golden. Just give that up. The man is a good defensive coordinator. We, we, we often look at his one or two, three deficient plays per game and highlight those. I think he's great. I think he has some things he needs to clean up. But overall, Al Golden is a good defensive coordinator, and I like what he does at Notre Dame. Yeah, El Conquistador. I, I, I don't know. I think maybe we're confusing this. We're, we're making this more complicated than it has to be. He asks, if it's where the ball goes out of bounds, then how is it that receivers catch balls out of bounds, but their feet are in? Yeah, I mean, that's okay. So I, I, I see. I think I think that he is, you know, kind of backing what we say. That's that's exactly right. Like, like if that was their justification for overturning it, then again, you know, like if you catch a ball sideline, toe tap it's it's where the ball is when you make the toe tap you're not out of bounds until you actually step out of bounds so just it's ridiculous that they overturned it